It's one of the most complex that you'll ever deal with in human relationships. The only thing that's probably more complex is parenting. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. This is the third episode of our recent graduate mini-series. When you think of a mentor, who do you think of? Your parents, coaches, teachers, bosses? Mentors come in many forms and have the power to significantly influence your life. It's important to have mentors throughout your life, but especially when you graduate from veterinary school and enter the workforce. In fact, that's what a lot of recent graduates look for when they interview for jobs. They want guidance and wisdom as they navigate the challenges of practicing veterinary medicine for the first time. So if you're an employer or a recent graduate, it's important to know how this relationship works. Dr. Dan Posey unpacks this relationship. Dr. Posey was the 2017 TVMA president. He's deeply passionate about mentorship. It's what he does for a living. He teaches, recruits, and mentors undergraduate pre-veterinary students. He is a clinical professor and academic coordinator for the Texas A&M Veterinary Medical Center at West Texas A&M University in Canyon, Texas. In this episode, he shares how to establish the mentor-mentee relationship and talks about the mentors that he's had in his life, such as his elementary school teacher, Mrs. Sherman. Before we delve deeper into this topic, it's important to define what mentorship is. Here's Dr. Posey. What mentorship is, is like a relationship, usually is defined as like a relationship between a really experienced person that guide and share, assist, a uh, person with less experience. And it helps their simulation into all parts of life. So for example, um, you could, it could be like for career, and that's mainly what we're talk, talk, talking right here, but it could be a simulation to a program like veterinary medicine, like an education, and that's probably where most of my mentoring has gone, is assimilating students from high school to college or college to the professional school. And then another mentoring is from professional school into career. And so, and then throughout career, there are stages of career that mentorship plays a role in. So there's entry level, then, you know, you look at in veterinary medicine, the, when you go from uh, being an associate to a partner, to a business owner, that those all, there's mentors play a role in every piece of that. So it sounds like mentors are really needed during times of transition. Uh, there's no doubt that they are, but you know, there's a vital role between that and also just uh, doing checkbacks to see how you're doing in your career and having mentors help you through just the process that are not associated with transition. You know, everything's a transition, but those big places of transition are, is really, really important, especially when you're jumping from job to job, you know, going from job to job or from a different type of career to another career. For example, when I came into, I was in private practice for 20 years. 
Dr. Posey started practicing at age 25, and by the age of 28, he was the owner of a mixed animal practice called Central Veterinary Clinic in Madisonville, Texas. I had lots of students that came in as interns in my practice. I also had quite a few veterinarian associates that came in to my practice. But also, so when I made that jump from private practice to academic uh, uh, career, uh, what I needed was somebody to help mentor me and help me make that transition. So it's important when you when you're know a career transition is going to happen. For example, in private practice, you're moving from being a, an associate to a partner. You would surely like to have a really good mentoring relationship with another partner, maybe a managing partner of the practice, plus also looking for mentors outside your practice to do that. And in, in our profession, there's lots of people that love the, the idea of mentorship. So before we delve further into this topic, let's discuss the mentors in your life from okay. the very beginning. Alrighty, so uh, I'm very, very lucky that I've had a lot of great mentors in my, in my life. In fact, my parents probably are the, the first mentors that I really had, uh, my father especially. And the reason I'm a veterinarian is probably mainly due to him because um, searching for a career as a young man, I was thinking more sports um, uh, type uh, career. I was thinking about coaching, thinking about uh, actually playing in college level athletics. And my father was very, very instrumental by seeing that I was probably didn't have the talent for a college career in athletics, but I had, he recognized certain talents in me and that was my, my ability to have science and math and also my love of agriculture. Uh, he saw that and so he helped me make some really good decisions on what kind of career I wanted to do. And uh, veterinary medicine became a very easy pathway for me because that mentor. Then when I got into college, probably the next mentor that was there was um, uh, one of the advisors at Texas um, uh, Tech University, and that was uh, Dr. Marcus Hel uh, Hellman. And uh, Dr. Hellman was um, a new advisor at Texas Tech. And he helped uh, mentor me through the, the, uh, the turbulent times as a freshman and sophomore in college wanting to do a veterinary degree. And there was many, many times that he did the um, talk to me very, very uh, frankly about my performance in the classroom and was able to help me see that I had the ability to be a veterinarian but I needed that. Uh, I need, really needed somebody that would uh, shake me with my by my collar to actually show that I have the ability to do that. Then you go into my my um, veterinary career, uh, especially at the school. I had a very very good mentor in in Dr. Robert Field. I rented from Dr. Field when I was in vet school, 
and he took a lot of time uh, pointing me and showing me how to have the right um, attributes and the right things to do, a skill set to be able to do a mixed animal practice. He was a very good mixed animal practitioner there. And Dr. Field helped me a lot along the way, actually looking for jobs and gave me a lot of great advice uh, when I was early in my career in, in private practice. Then getting into private practice, the, the, uh, my first boss, Dr. Mike Ritchie, uh, was uh, Dr. Ritchie was probably the most influential um, uh, mentor that I had. And he taught me how to practice. He spent a lot of times with me on one-on-one -on -one sessions, uh, and we were at two different locations. So he was not there in the clinic with me every day. I was by myself in a clinic. And he actually spent a lot of time walking through cases with me, but also teaching me the art of practice about how, a, how to um, uh, build a business, how to manage a practice, how to do the things that, are, that, are, uh, that I was very, very interested in, but also had great concern about my well-being and about my assimilation into private practice. So those are the kind of uh, mentors that I've had throughout, and I continue to have them. I, even at West Texas A&M, there are several mentors that I have that we have that are more peer mentor because I think we mentor each other now. And so as we walk through those, um, those career steps, you'll get to a point where you become more mentor than mentee, but then your transition is, actually in these that you'll have peer mentors, people that you actually find mentorship from and you help mentor and then in that relationship and that just grows over time. So it sounds like mentors have a very big influence on people's lives and I just remember when I interviewed you for your feature article about your 2017 presidency, you mentioned this elementary school teacher who yep. knows that you were like playing around and she asked you and your two classmates, yep. hey. This is, yeah, Mrs. Sherman is her name. And she probably is the reason that I have the, um, uh, she, tur she turned on the light bulb in my head about education. And uh, the story goes that, that um, uh, she, she called three of us, three young men out into the hallway and had this conversation. And her conversation was this, is, um, do you want to be stupid all your life? That's what she asked us. And of course, I looked at the other two guys and we assumed we would, be, we would probably be stupid all our lives. And she, she turned on something in that conversation by showing to me that there is that competition in a game, basketball, football, baseball, any of those, an academic could actually be a competitive game. And she related it and I didn't get really this concept to golf more than, than anything else, but she was talking about how we as, uh, we could be a very competitive learners. And so it changed my, it was a paradigm shift the way I looked at that grades, the way I looked at performance in the classroom. And all three of us, uh, all grades elevated after that conversation, we were able to actually um, be more competitive in the classroom. And she turned on 
the educational pathway to me that helped me do well in junior high and high school and eventually college um, to do that. So that was one of those, he turned me on to reading. I had not been a big reader at that point in time in my life and she actually found me fun stuff to read that I was interested in. And um, there's a lot that she taught me. I had a, a speech impediment that I was dealing with in early elementary school. I still deal with it today, but, but she taught me some techniques that just I use today that goes back. Uh, the follow-up story is that is I realized that I owed her so much, and I I I decided after I was out of I graduated from veterinary school and I looked back thinking all the people that were most influential and she was one of them, and so I tried to get a hold of her um, prior to um, uh, just to to thank her and she had passed away, but I was able to talk to her son and to tell her about how much how important she was to me and how she made such a big difference in my life. Wow. And what did her son say? Oh, of course, he was very, very, he said, you know, she's one of those that in over that, you know, 40, 50 year career, she had a lot of impact on a lot of young men and young women in her life. And that the outpouring at her funeral was, was tremendous about that. And I said, well, she was very, very special. There's no doubt about that. So it sounds like there's nothing like the power of someone's words to make a difference in someone's life. Yeah, I think that when you start looking at the mentor-mentee relationship, that, that it's actually investment is what it mainly is. It's willing to invest time, your time in a person, and also to listen and to make sure it's not about yourself, and, and, and you know, you mentoring somebody to do what you need them to do as much as it is to listen and help them to become the best at whatever they want to do. And I think that's really, really important. And most of the mentoring that I do is actually just time with somebody, checking in to see how they're doing, uh, um, and remembering that most of these relationships is driven by the mentee more than the mentor. So a mentor can call their mentees and be a bother, right? And uh, that, that's not how it's driven. It's usually driven by the mentee and being able to drop what you're doing and spending time with that person to help them get through what they're getting to or the advice that they need or the celebration of something they're bringing to you. And I think that's a really, really important part of that, that this relationship is mentee driven. So they're the ones that establish it. They're the ones that maintain it. And so if you look over my, the, your, your career, my career, and look at the people that we've mentored, some of them are just for a certain period of time and they drop off and there's a friendship that's driven by, I mean, it's still there, but the mentee mentor relationship is no longer valid because the mentee isn't driving it. But then there's others that I've had for 20 years of, men of mentoring because there's something of value that happens there and remembering that the mentor gets a lot out of this relationship. There's a lot that we can get out of it. 
So let's talk about mentorship specifically for veterinary medicine. Okay. Why is, why is it important for veterinarians to have mentorship opportunities to be a mentor, to, uh, to be a mentee? Yeah, so, so on this, uh, one of the things that we have, we have seen is the recruitment and uh, retention of, of veterinarians in private practice, in your private practice. And becoming a good mentor and understanding how mentoring and relationship really works is probably the most viable thing that we can do for our practices and for our career. So one of the areas that I work at in uh, recruitment and, re and uh, retention is in the rural areas of Texas. And so understanding how mentorship works in your practice and listening and, in, and investing time in your new associates is such an important part. And it is, it is a tough job. It is not just about being the boss, which you have to be the boss too, and actually help them get the stuff done and the, the stuff that they need. The mentoring is actually getting them tied to your practice. And there are some really good practitioners in the state of Texas that know how to do this very, very well. And you look at their practices and they have a stream of, of associates lining up at their door, wanting to serve in their rural practices. So our small animal practices or equine practices. So it's a really important part to understand that mentorship is, and mentoring is a very viable part of that. So how do you become a really good mentor? Is, uh, you know, I use the, the uh, four E's of mentorship. The four E's of mentorship are enthusiasm, encouragement, enlightenment, and empowerment. And I think when you start looking at those, um, it's, it's important to understand what that role is, but, but you've got to be really enthusiastic about what you do. And I'm, I love what I do in my life, and that is I love teaching. I also love being part of the, of the veterinary career. Uh, I love that portions, but the, the mentor needs to be really, really enthusiastic about uh, what they do because that's contagious. Uh, if you love going to work every day and working and uh, working with clients, working in your job, you love that. There are mentees that will see that and they want to know why you're so enthusiastic about this. So when we start, when we start heading down that, that's the first one. Uh, I think, how do you stay enthusiastic about your job? Well, remember the great things that you have been given. Remember that what was your first love of this profession? Um, remembering that modeling is how people learn from you. And so if you're enthusiastic about your, what you do every day, uh, you're enthusiastic, you had that first love that you had when you came out of veterinary medicine, you're actually getting paid to be a veterinarian, and you remember that on a daily basis and feel the blessings of that. It's really, really important that that passion for your, the practice of veterinary medicine comes out. And if you have that, that would really help you establishing a mentorship. People will be are, are attracted to people that are enthusiastic about their job.
The next thing is you've got to be an encourager. And that and to be an encourager is tough because you have this relationship that you have with an employee and maybe a mentoring relationship with that employee, but you have to be able to manage it where you have you have encouragement. And so I use this rule, like in a really good mentoring uh, relationship, for every one negative thing you say to a mentee, you should have eight, 15 or 25 positive things that you actually tell, catch them doing. And I learned from the Dr. Ritchie. Dr. Michael Ritchie was Dr. Posey's boss at East Texas Animal Hospital which was the first practice Dr. Posey worked at following veterinary school. He always caught me doing things right. So he made comments about small things that, that happened. For example, he was meeting me at the clinic one day and I was already there before he got there. And he said, man, I appreciate you showing up early. Now that, that, is, that is a given. He, he, he expected me to be there on time but he obviously knew that I had gotten there early and making, catching me do those things as positive reinforcement for my job. And in a mentoring relationship, encouragement is, is very, very important. And there's generational differences. My father was, didn't do, use this rule at all. Maybe it's one-to-one -one that he used in his mentoring relationship with me, one positive, one negative because my, my father was from a different generation, but also I'm from a different generation. And I can see the difference in the way that I react to a negative comment by him because he did not reinforce positive. He actually corrected um, the uh, things that I did wrong. And so that's important to understand. And then having a nurturing environment of encouragement is most important to be able to have this where they, they, you're approachable, they can come talk to you about something that is not going right. And some of that is boss stuff and some of that is mentoring stuff. But if you have this nurturing relationship and environment in your, in your practice, you'd be really surprised how many mentoring relationships that you'll have with your employees. The third one is enlightenment. And learning to be able to counsel, to help show them where improvement can be done, having insight because you've already walked that path and how you manage some of those things uh, is really the, the point. The other part of this, and this is what the mentor gets out of this relationship, is sometimes there's a different point of view might come from a mentee and that we need to be open to that because just because I did it a certain way doesn't mean it has to be done that way. And as we mature in life, we figure out there's lots of different ways we could be doing this. And I think that's important that we understand that when, a, when we're in this and helping them enlighten, some things that come for your mentee will enlighten you along the way. The other is, um, recognizing untapped professional resources that um, the, the mentee may not even realize that are there. So I can think of 
Dr. Moore was another person with was in the in the group practice that we had with Dr. Ritchie. And Dr. Moore was really, really good um, at uh, pointing me in the right direction with resources. And so, uh, for example, um, there are times when we come up against a problem, we don't know all the resources that are out there, especially if we're young. And a mentor could be a vital resource for that. And then there's the your own, as a mentor, uh, self-evaluation skills that you can do. How good of a mentor am I? How well do I uh, have these conversations of enlightenment and encouragement and, and those with the, the um, uh, mentee? And so the self-evaluation skills are an important part of mentoring. Am I doing this so that I get them to, that, that it's about me and I want them to do something for me? Or am I being the type of mentor that actually wants to help them regardless? So I can think of uh, a really bad mentoring thing that happened to me in practice. I had an employee that was a long-term employee, been out there with me for probably six or seven years. And she was young when she came to work for me. And she was my right-hand person. She was a technician. She was very, very good at this. Um, she was going to make a career change. And I remember her coming to her, to me, about advice about this career change. And uh, we had a mentor-mentee relationship. Uh, we were very, very close. But it caught me off guard because I looked at it like, don't you see what all I've done for you? Why are you leaving me? And I, I, um, it, it, it was really enlightening to me in the self-evaluation because as soon as it came out of my mouth, I realized that it's not about me. It's really about Deborah. And that what I should be doing is apologizing, which I did right then and there. And I made sure she knew how proud I was that she wanted to pursue this educational route that she wanted to go. And yes, I would help any way I wanted to do that. And we still have a, a I haven't talked to her probably in a decade, but I know that she is doing well because she made that transition from veterinary medicine to human care. She went to nursing school, she's an RN. And um, I think about that uh, conversation a lot about how I was thinking from uh, inwardly on myself about what the impact of losing this great employee who I love dearly that was now going to leave my practice and what the impact was going to be. And, uh, and then realizing that I said the wrong thing as a mentor and that I should be looking out and I was so proud of her wanting to make that, that, that change. The last part is empowering them to in in their lives so this includes the stuff like networking helping them you uh, as a mentor you're not going to have all the answers but maybe you know people that might have the answers and so you connect these your mentees to these other people that could help them that they can start mentoring relationships with them because it's not one-on-one -on -one. Maybe it's five on one. Maybe you have five mentors that are helping you along the way. I gave specific 
um, instances through my life, like one person, but there's more than one person that was helping mentor me as I came through. The other part of that is the skill building and pushing your mentee to get outside of their comfort zone and to give them opportunities to be able to do that. Then the evaluation, uh, giving feedback and learning how to give constructive feedback to a mentee is very, very important, uh, just like your employees. And then there, of course, there's confidence building. So as a mentor, I learned this when I was in the university, uh, when I started my academic job, I did not know this in private practice, but how to give uh, balanced feedback to a, uh, a mentee. And the first thing, or an employee, is the first thing to do is uh, to um, ask uh, what is going well? What are the things in your life that are going well? What are the things that are going well in your job, okay? What are the things that, that you're very, very proud of that you do in your job or you do in your life, okay? And that's the first part. And then if you know your mentee well, you could comment on things that they leave out, the things that you observe that are very, very positive and constructive to, for them to do, okay? Then the next question is, what are the things that you struggle with or you need to improve? What are the areas you need to improve in, okay? And usually this is what, where most mentees want to actually start there, where they would want, where, where they, that you recognize, you see things in your mentee that need to be improved on. And those conversations need to be constructive and handled delicately because you don't want to injure the relationship. But when you ask them, they share, they're going to tell you some of the things where they need to improve. What some of the things that they're weak in, some of the things that they, they think they are. And you make comments on that. So somebody told me I'm struggling with uh, my communications with clients. I'm having a tough time on this. And you observe that they're not, you know, they might be struggling a little bit, but actually they do it very, very well. Then you're going to say, no, no, I don't think that's, I think there's, that's an area of your improvement. And you will improve as you go through being a practitioner. Okay. So as a mentee, there are going to be some things that they don't mention that you observe. And you need to say, well, I do see here's an area that you might want to consider to, that you need to work on. And so you work, you work on that. This really is probably the most important area in mentee-mentor relationship because there are things that they could say, I open it at this. Here's the things that I think I do positive in this relationship, okay? And then you allow the mentee to actually do the feedback on you. Then you say, okay, here's the areas that I'm, I'm struggling in. This is the area that I, I don't think I give you this, uh, the right amount of time. I don't think that there's areas that I'm, that I maybe are, we're not um, covering all that we need to do in this mentoring relationship. And then they have feedback and they would actually tell you and you have to be open to, for the negative comments that might come from the mentee's mouth to, to establish a really good mentor-mentee relationship it's on that very personal level. So it sounds like mentors can learn a lot from mentees. Um, 
when you were listing the four E's, enthusiastic, encourager, enlightenment, empowerment, I was thinking, wow, it takes a lot to be a mentor. You almost would need another mentor to become one. And it involves self-awareness, emotional intelligence, and it, it almost seems a little daunting to be a mentor. I mean, well, I think in human nature is pretty, it's pretty natural. Okay. So I think that most of us have this, um, the abilities to be very good mentors. It's actually, uh, if you look back in time, uh, there's always been the, the uh, instruction on how to do certain things. And that's, that's the mentoring um, ability. Coaching is a little bit different because there's a go. There's usually a goal. There's a certain skill set that you're doing at, and that's what you do. So everybody uh, in 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 sports has a coach that actually helps them work on certain skills, a certain with their job that they're doing, and that's a little bit different than mentee because I think the mentor relationship, mentee mentor relationship, is a little bit uh, more complex than that. I think that um, most people that do this, um, the mentor on the mentor side, find that they get uh, professional improvement associated with this. They they feel like they're helping the next person. Uh, I always made the comment that we're always looking for somebody that's going to take over our job. Right? We want to have somebody to be able to do what I'm doing. And so you're training that group behind you. Some of that is skill-based. A lot of it is communication, interpersonal, interpersonal and emotional intelligence-based, which falls in the mentoring realm. Um, so when we start heading this way, there's lots of, of good things that mentors get out of this. Uh, they get quite a bit of, of um, skill building when you get this in, in like anything else, to start your 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 um, mentoring career, it's you know we're just not very good at it at first. So uh, I think that there's four stages to almost every career. The first one is is you're really enthusiastic, but you're not very good at it. But your enthusiasm of doing this mentoring probably overrides your abilities and people are attracted to you. The next part of that is, and this is very short because after you start the mentoring and you use some of the skills that we're talking about, then you find out that you're, you're enthusiastic and you're good at it, okay? And when you're enthusiastic and good at it, it's really, really a great thing. And this is where most of our mentoring career starts. Then there's, the three that are the two other stages that are really, uh, you know, you can be a good mentor, but not be enthusiastic about it anymore. And at that point in time, you need to remember why are you doing mentoring? Why are you mentoring people? And go back to your first love associated with that. The reason we mentor is because we want to invest in other people is what we want to do. We want to help them to with our experience and share experiences so they don't make the same mistakes. And the last part of that is you're not enthusiastic and you're not very good mentoring anymore. And probably at that point in time, you need to stop mentoring. So 
you need to be, and, and it's okay because you don't have to be a mentor all your life. There's just a period, there's a period of times in which mentoring becomes a very, very important part of your career. And so I know there's a tool that mentors and mentees can use to help establish and define their roles and that's a mentorship contract. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, the, the, um, there's lots of resources out there about the mentoring con contract, but it's, I think that the number one thing that most new associates are looking for is this mentoring relationship. They want somebody that will help them, okay? So go to Star Wars. Who is the mentor in Star Wars? Are you a Star Wars fan? <laughs> Unfortunately not, which... Okay, so Yoda is the mentor in, of Luke Skywalker, okay? Yeah. And that's important to understand that he invested lots of, of time with Luke Skywalker, okay? He went to him with advice, and a lot of times Luke didn't take the advice, right, on this. So that's the relationship that students are, I mean, uh, veterinarians are looking for in their employer, okay? You do not have to be uh, find a mentoring relationship within your practice, but I think it's pretty natural because you look at developing the relationship, the very first place that we develop mentee-mentor relationship is in the employment situation. That, that's a natural place for it to happen. The next place is teacher and student. The next one is family members. And I've talked about all three of those in my, in this podcast. The mentoring relationship contract is the important part. And as an employer, you and as a mentor, you might want to use this tool. And this is an agreement between you and the mentee. And, and if they say in a, uh, that they, they are seeking for mentorship and you want to take on this relationship, you have to establish contact time. In private practice or in my, my academic career, time is valuable and you can easily have time, uh, like in private practice, not finding any time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with your employee, with your mentee. And so the mentoring contact is actually a piece of paper that we line out how often we're going to meet, what the parameters that we're going to the, we're going to talk about, okay, and we establish frequency of doing this. And I, my suggestion on a new employee that comes into your practice and wants a mentor-mentee relationship, that it's almost uh, the first couple of weeks, it's almost daily that you have you make that contact touch points with them. Then, as your relationship grows then that could be, it, it would go off to once a month, I mean, every week to, to every two weeks to a month. And, and these are not always associated with just what's happening in the business. It's actually associating what's happening in life. And that's what the concentration needs to be about. It doesn't need to be how we're going to produce income. It needs to be a, a more about what's happening in that person's life. And that's the parameter portions of it. 
and you meet with frequency. So there could be a time we have a mentee that you do not meet with once a year. You have a time once a year that you actually talk uh, about these things and see how things are going. And so it doesn't need to be limited to just face-to-face. -face. There's so many ways to communicate right now. What are all the other forms that mentors and mentees can use? Yeah, so I think that the, yeah, there's numerous ways. In fact, in the last um, probably week, I've used all of them from, from a face-to-face -to, -face to telephone to emails to texting, okay, to Zoom. So there's lots of different ways in which we can interact with uh, our mentees. And uh, it's important to understand that I personally have a preference to face-to-face. -face. I think that's easier for me because I can read body language, I can read uh, micro expressions, I can read things in that that maybe that you don't get from some of the electronic forms or over the phone. Uh, um, but as a mentor, you're not going to be able to do all these face-to-face, -face, and sometimes it is going to be electronic or by, by cell. And when you do it by cell, you have to be actually more conscious in the, in the communications to understand uh, looking for uh, things like stress in their voice and stuff like that so that you can address what the, actually what they need, their needs are. Some of the common topics that mentors and mentees cover, one of them you said was skills development. What are some other topics covered during those meetings? Well, I think that uh, I, have, I have lots that we talk about interpersonal relationships, meaning uh, mainly uh, I'm not their boss. And so I'm actually talking to them about the relationships. Uh, how do you assimilate into a, to a job? Okay. Uh, this is a topic that we get in a lot. So uh, if I was going into, if, if you had a private practice and I was coming into your private practice, the first thing I would do is find out what you don't like to do. Yeah. And I would become the person who actually does that job. And so, and, and this is through mentoring that we have, because that way that person going in is to help that practice, find the holes that are within the practice and try to fill those holes because if you do that, you become almost indispensable for that practice. And that actually it builds a relationship with your boss to do that. And so we talk about stuff like that, okay? Then we get into, there are, and this makes a lot of, it depends on the relationship, okay, that you would have, but we're not counselors, okay? We're not counselors. What we are are listens and we give advice, but we're not a counselor. And so a lot of people like, when we get into um, the um, more personal subjects, uh, I'm very comfortable in this range uh, for this, but I've been doing this a long time. So, but most of the time I listen, uh, I do make commentary from my own experiences because that's what they're, they're wanting. But a lot of times I do direct them to outside counsel because I'm not a counselor and I'm not a, a lawyer. And so I want to make sure that we, they get the help that's necessary. And that's what mentees do, is get the help that they want by through the networking. I know that wellness and mental health, I know wellness is something that you really care about. Um, 
Is that something that comes up during those conversations? Like, hey, I'm really stressed, I'm overwhelmed. Um, is that a time where you would direct them to a mental health professional? Well, okay, so, so I think that's a fine line. So I think most people in this world um, have, uh, have those complaints. I think that's a pretty normal, uh, you know, everybody is, even the most confident person out there feels overwhelmedness. Uh, they feel uh, the imposter syndrome is another one that's talk, talked about, uh, talking about um, how, you know, uh, the ability to assimilate into a, a job, those things are all on, on in the mentee-mentor relationship. I think when it gets to the point where you get uh, touching on issues that really a counselor needs to talk to them, and that is um, if, if divorce comes up in the relationship, then I'm not a divorce counselor. Uh, I probably should not make any comments about that because I've never been divorced. I have friends, but that's not enough for me to make, uh, to feel confident. And now I'm going to direct them to somebody that, a counselor that might have the, a better knowledge, uh, will have a better knowledge than I do on that. And so the other part of that is, is when we go into legal issues, I don't uh, make comment. I tell them, uh, here's the conduit of, of where I would go with that and act as the conduit to be able to, do, to establish those. But I think that when you get um, where sometimes uh, mentors overstep, uh, overstep is when we get into um, uh, the counseling role, okay? We start acting like we're a counselor or we act like we're a lawyer on this. And I'm a veterinarian and I mentor and I, uh, my job is to help them and to find the resources they need to, to address those issues. So. so I know that recent graduates, and I think you mentioned this earlier, this is something that they really crave. And I know that TVMA's Practice Management Committee, we um, I believe they put out a survey and um, a lot of the respondents, you know, they, they said that they really want mentorship. Would you like to elaborate on that? Why you think that is? I think this has probably been the way forever. I think we can go all the way back to uh, the uh, prehistoric times in which we had uh, people learning a new skill. Somebody learned how to throw a rock a certain way and now you're gonna be a rock chunker. You <laughs> want mentorship on that to be able to do that. Because you see somebody that has been, you know, when we choose bosses, we choose somebody that we think that we can thrive with and we can actually um, get, uh, you know, entering into the profession. That mentoring relationship becomes very, very important so that we know that that first job probably dictates what, uh, where your, your uh, skills that you'll carry for the rest of your life are established. And I was very lucky, I knew nothing about mentorship or nothing about how, how to find a job. A person offered me a job, I liked the guy, so I, I went to work for him. And I was very lucky that he was a great mentor of this. He invested so much time out of his day to me, with me. 
and my family. And so he, he was one of those kind of bosses that I, even though he, I, I bought my practice from him, we were friends for the rest of his life and he continued, we continued a mentoring mentee relationship until he passed away. So Dr. Ritchie, I was very, very lucky in. And I think that it's always been this way. I think that people have always looked for mentors. We just didn't know how to call, we didn't know what to tell, To we didn't know the name of what that person is. But this is vital in, our, in, uh, in veterinary medicine right now, because I would suggest, suggest that maybe that the majority, if not all, are looking for a mentor-mentee relationship when they go to work, because that's the first place that it's established. So have you always been passionate about this, or has it been fueled a little bit more from teaching? Probably was triggered by my job, because the number one thing that students were, uh, and this is back in 02 and 03, um, that when students came and were, we had conversations and they would come by and drop by and just talk is what they would do and didn't really realize what that was all about. And then really realized that we gave a name to it calling a mentorship is what we called it. And so that actually probably full fueled my interest about how to establish this and maintain it and to be able to uh, um, be uh, proficient at it and, and how important it was. Because as soon as you give people the right language to talk about a relationship, then that really helps for like, for example, saying all students wanted mentorship I wanted mentorship when I came out of vet school. I just didn't know it was called mentorship. Yeah. I thought it was like, I want you to teach me stuff. Okay. Apprenticeship, uh, you know, entry level of a job. Uh, you know, I didn't realize that I got so much from Dr. Ritchie. I'd like to know about some resources, books, websites that we can leave our listeners with if they're really curious about, oh, I want to be a mentor, I want to be a mentee. Like, where can I go now for information? Well, I think that the first thing is, is that um, to establish a mentoring relationship with a, uh, a new graduate is actually talking to your boss before you get uh, hired and ask about what the what this relationship is gonna look. Have that conversation prior, okay? So that right there helps to, to see if this is the right fit for you, because if your um, new employer uh, does, not, does not want to invest that time, that might not be the right relationship for you. The majority of veterinarians I know are on the journey just like I'm on, and that is trying to learn how to be the best mentors we possibly can. And most, I would say, majority of the veterinarians that I, I um, um, interact with are all on this mentorship journey or the mentee journey portions. So there are quite, I mean, there is, all you have to do is put mentorship into the Google and you'd imagine all the resources you have. Um, there is, and I'll get you the name of the book by Coach Gundy that is very, very good. The book is called More Than a Championship, 
the 2011 Oklahoma State Cowboys. It's the, uh, he, he actually uh, changed my, um, the way I talk about mentorship, and that is uh, in this book, because his was about building um, men and women. Uh, 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 it's the investment is the building, and in his, it was men, uh, uh, building the character of men is what his his that's the whole his whole life is about. It's not about coaching football. It's about uh, actually building young men uh, and uh, young men into men. And so his his idea behind that that gave me a whole new language to think about is because it's about us finding our best possible selves, right? And on this journey, and a mentor can help you with that can help you. So I also know that the AVMA has some resources on mentoring that's out there. And at the end of this, we can have some uh, resources for you. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share about this topic? Any other stories? Any, anything else you didn't feel like you got a chance to say? Yeah, so one of the, one of the things that, that I would love to believe is that each and every one of us has had great mentors in our life. And some of those mentors have been from a long, long ago. And maybe we don't have an, a mentee-mentor relationship with them. But one of the things that you can do is actually out, reach out to those great teachers that you had along the way, um, those uh, bosses that we've had in the past that actually helped us tremendously in our life. And they, and they, they, uh, sometimes the only uh, gratitude that you get is somebody making a telephone call or an email or a text about the importance of that mentee-mentor relationship is. So I would encourage those listeners to uh, reach out to somebody that had an impact in their life and to reestablish that uh, relationship because good mentors uh, come from, uh, were, were treated well as mentees and they learned a lot of it from the mentors they've had in the past. And that's a good thing. It's actually paying forward is what that is. So the other, the other portions is, is if you're, um, you're heading and you want to be a good mentor, remember it's a journey. There's no destination of being a good mentor. It's always process. And it's really hard for very goal-oriented uh, people to understand that you don't arrive at the good mentorship uh, uh, place. Uh, you're actually in process all your life learning how to be uh, a, a good mentor. And so the journey itself is what's pleasurable, okay? And that having fun along the way and not all mentor-mentee relationships established for a lifetime. Uh, I hope they do, but unfortunately they don't. And so remembering that a lot of this time investment in somebody else is over a short, shorter period of time when we look at our whole life. Well, thank you so much for enlightening us, encouraging us, empowering us on this topic. I know I'm missing the fourth E. Um, That's all right. So uh, we can put that in there. So, uh, so the four E's are, what are they? Let me just go back to my notes. Enthusiastic. Enthusiasm. 
which is very important to be have this contagious attitude um, where people can really uh, read that and they want to emulate that um, encourager. That's right. Be encouraging of other people if they're doing something right, uh, that's important to tell them. Enlightenment um, with education, uh, resources, and then empowerment. Uh, you talked about networking and confidence building and skill building. Um, I think those are some of the great things to leave listeners with. Um, and yeah, I, I learned a lot. I mean, it was interesting to me and I'm not even a veterinarian. So, I mean, I can take this with me as a communications professional. Yep. So I'm going to ask you, Dana, who's your mentor? Um, I mean, I mean, Chris is listening to this. <laughs> so, right. That's good. That's, um, I, I would do that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say Chris has been great because he's always very open to, um, feedback or like if I have concerns or I'm always just like, Hey, I have this idea and he's open to it. And, um, it's been wonderful getting to, uh, be the host of this podcast. It wouldn't be possible without Chris's encouragement. So, so we, have, we have a mentor that, that is ours the same. So yeah. we have a, we have a shared mentor is what we have. Oh, that's so sweet. Yep. So when, when I was a TVMA president, he mentored me a lot. Yeah. So through that process. So it's important to understand that, uh, yeah. So in mine was for a finite period of time. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, great friendships is what mentorship does. And uh, sometimes we, out in those friendships, we move past the mentor mentee relationship. Thank you very much. And thank you for the TVMA for uh, allowing us to do a podcast on this. And I hope it's uh, beneficial for your listeners. That was Dr. Dan Posey discussing mentorship. Dr. Posey mentioned that AVMA has resources. As for TVMA, we are a hub for finding mentors and mentees. When you go to our annual conference, you meet so many veterinary professionals and can make meaningful connections that could evolve into a mentor-mentee relationship. For the final episode of the recent graduate mini-series, I speak with a recent graduate. Her name is Dr. Bethany Weinheimer. She graduated just two years ago from Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine. She takes us back to a moment in her life that she will always remember. Vet school was incredibly challenging and incredibly hard, and then to walk across the stage and have a diploma at hand is just a totally emotional experience even just thinking about it. She talks about the challenges of being a recent graduate like when her credibility is questioned by a pet owner because she looks so young. Tune in to hear how she is overcoming these obstacles on the next episode. For now, please subscribe and rate the show. Thank you for listening to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA. 